This is attorney Mark Lopez, and I am with my good friend, Kent Winningham. Kent, say good morning. Good morning. So we're recording this on May 5th. Happy Cinco de Mayo. That's and, right. You know, I've been following along the news along with most people, and it seems that the most affected individuals with the coronavirus are people who are residing at nursing homes or long-term care facilities. And so one of the things that I want to talk to was my good friend, Kent. And Ken has done a lot of litigation fighting for people who have been injured in nursing homes. And he's not a medical doctor, but when you do these cases, when you work on cases, you get to know the subject matter. And I just thought I'd talk to him a little bit. And at some point, him and I decided we'd record this interview so others could listen. So Ken, that's the background. Give us a little background on you. Sure. Uh... Yeah, so I, I, I went to law school in Chicago, and I, and I practiced in Chicago for a few years in predominantly nursing home negligence, uh, in, in the area of nursing home negligence and medical malpractice. Um, and that, that was really all I did for two or three years before moving back to Indianapolis um, and, and joining Wilson Kehoe Winningham, where I now do about half of my practice is general personal injury, and then the other half is, is medical malpractice and nursing home negligence. The kind of um, nursing home negligence kind of falls within the area of medical malpractice. It's a subsect of it. So that's about half my practice, I would say. Is nursing home negligence always medical malpractice? That's a good question. It, it depends on who the facility is. So if, it's a, if the facility is what's considered a qualified healthcare provider, meaning they've opted into the Indiana's Department of Insurance um, to, uh, to be a what's called a qualified healthcare provider, then your act is most likely going to fall under the Medical Malpractice Act. It depends on, on the actions as, um, as well, what, what is at issue in terms of the actual conduct. But, um, you know, some of these nursing home cases, some of these nursing homes, really most of them are considered qualified healthcare providers. Some of them are not. So if you have a you know nursing home or assisted living facility that's that's not under the umbrella of the uh, Indiana Department of Insurance and it's not then thus a qualified healthcare provider, you file your case like any other civil case and and you pursue it as a um, as a as a negligence case and it doesn't fall under the Medical Malpractice Act, but it's still considered a, a medical malpractice case. It just doesn't fall under that Medical Malpractice Act like it would if that facility was a qualified healthcare provider. Okay. Would yeah. you prefer a case be under the Medical Malpractice Act or not under the Medical Malpractice Act? No, the, the Medical Malpractice Act in Indiana is, is, it is, uh, makes things quite difficult for patients. It, it, it's, it is incredibly patient adverse. It is a, a system where you've got to go through a medical review panel. Um, unsurprisingly, 85% of the time, the medical review panel finds against the patient. Uh, and um, so that, that makes things doubly difficult. And uh, under the Medical Malpractice Act, you're also capped, uh, your damages are capped as well. So it's a, it's a laborious process. Um, and, 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 you know, playing devil's advocate on the other side, people say it's, it's great for physicians and, and, it, and it can be, but it's, it, it was really quite patient adverse. So um, it, it can be difficult to pursue a case under the Medical Malpractice Act, but that's all you're left with for the most part, typically. Just for, you know, clarification, even if you win at the medical review panel, the case, it's not over. Right. You know, you're absolutely right. You win or lose. So it's three doctors um, or, or nurses or a combination of the two that are in that area of expertise. Um, and 
they they read your evidence and your materials and, and your deposition testimony if you've taken de uh, depositions and and then they render an opinion either two to one three oh oh three as to whether the standard of care in your case was met or whether the standard of care wasn't met that's not dispositive of the case meaning your case you don't win it you don't lose it there um, oftentimes cases might get resolved at that point but after that you you're moving on kind of to trial uh, and at that point all of that process about the decisions of those three supposedly you know neutral um, parties those are all admissible at trial so so you can talk about all that at trial as well so that makes it you know can make it make it harder for uh, for the plaintiff or it can help your case if you have a you know panel that has agreed with you so you're right it doesn't it doesn't mean your case is over with at all that is absolutely wild it's like a mini trial to get to the trial that just seems like so much extra work especially for the consumer well it's, um, a, it's a mini trial that is operated by other healthcare people in the world of healthcare judging other people in the world of healthcare so it's a we call it sometimes a fox guarding the hen house house but uh that's probably maybe it's a little unfair I was going to say the cards were stacked against the plaintiff, but I like this, the fox guard in the hen house. Like, yeah. yeah. So when you have done these nursing home cases in the past, what are the typical things that you have seen and you have litigated? Um, the Most of the cases, they tend to be, you know, a lot of cases, what they are, they're, they're pressure ulcer cases. People develop bed sores on like their backside, their, their sacrums or their, their coccyx areas that, I didn't even know what a bed sore was before I started this world. I thought maybe that was a, you know, like a, a bug bite. I didn't know, but it's, you know, someone's not being turned and repositioned in their, um, not getting treatment. They, you know, to their skin, skin treatment, their skin breaks down and they develop these horrible, horrible wounds and holes in their body that, that can really lead to death. And, and um, they're really painful. So those are some cases. Sometimes when people, you know, have, they're supposed to have like a care plan in place because they're a fall risk. Um, and they're supposed to have interventions in place, but sure enough, none of those interventions are in place. And, and then they do fall, they have, you know, a brain injury and die, or they have a, you know, they fractured their femur. Um, those are, those are some common cases or, or improper, uh, you know, medication administration, you know, someone getting, you know, excessive amounts of medication, you know, when their medication administration record says they're supposed to get, you know, five milligrams, but instead they get 20 milligrams five days in a row and they, they have some sort of, you know, cardiac event or, or, you know, other stroke or something. So cases are, they can be really different, but I would say those are kind of three of more common cases you might see. And so just to jump on that bed sore, you know, when you hear the word bed sore, you're like, Oh, it can't be that bad. I have seen horrible bed sores. I feel like bed sores got off easy when it came to naming things. And so please don't let anyone listening to this, Think, oh, bed sore can't be that bad. They can turn terrible, just like Ken said, lead to infection, lead to death. Um, Ken, when you know, when we are reading in the news about COVID 19 having a significant impact on people living in nursing homes or long term care facilities, does that surprise you at all? No, no, it doesn't. It's, uh, it's, this is the most at risk population, uh, and they're all housed under one roof. You know, so it's, it's, you know, some people are, are pretty frustrated about how long-term care facilities are handling this. And I, and I, and I, and I do not blame them. There's, there's, um, they've, they've really dropped the ball in a lot of cases. And at the same time, it's just, it's, it's inevitable that, that sometimes these people are going to, they're going to contract it. They're all under one roof. Um, but 
So it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword and it's, it's sad to see because it, you know this is the most high-risk population and they're all in one facility together. So there, there are certainly a lot of things that, that can be done to separate people and to make sure you're providing a safe environment, but now it's not surprising to me at all. And you know, it just seems like a, a cascading type effect. The things you've mentioned, you know, not turning individuals, leading to bed sores, not following life care plans, not following medication routines, those things seem to me popping up as perhaps the facility is understaffed or poorly, poorly staffed. And it doesn't, it doesn't seem very like a long stretch that if those conditions existed to provide those possible issues that they're going to have an increase in coronavirus um, tests, which has stated, I got some numbers earlier today, and this is May 5th, literally one third of the deaths are at nursing homes. And uh, that's absolutely tr devastating. And you read these articles and you, whether a paper on online and you see family talking to their loved ones through these windows and it just breaks your heart. It absolutely breaks your heart. It does. And it's also, you know, it's just, you, you see this, these healthcare workers in these facilities, like the CNAs is what they call the, you know, certified nursing assistants and, and nurses, you know, they are, um, a lot of times you see they're at their wits end because they're, they're not getting the support that they need. They're not getting, you know, they don't have the staff that they need. So um, you're right. I think that it's kind of an exacerbation problem, right? It's, it's, you already have all these facilities typically are understaffed and then you have something like this happen and, and, and it really exposes that problem and your understaffing and, you know, that issue exacerbates your, 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 uh, your pandemic issue within your facility even further. So it's just, it's kind of the worst of, of both worlds, you know? It sounds terrible, quite frankly. And other states, they're being a little bit more forthcoming in their reporting. Indiana is starting to change with some new rules this past Monday, but why is Indiana not being so forthcoming with their information regarding coronavirus in nursing homes? You know, I, I don't know, and it's, and it's frustrating. I, I have an idea why, and, um, and really the lack of communication is, to me is, is scary for families because it's, if you've got a loved one in a rehab facility, an assisted living facility, a nursing home, you're going to want to know what's going on there. And they, and they can communicate that, the facility can, they can communicate that to you without violating HIPAA, you know, without disclosing anyone's personal, personal identifiable information. Um, and they should, because they've got a duty to make sure that, that, you know, their residents are not at risk, you know, as, as a result of other residents who are, you know, endangering them. So, um, and if they're, and if that is the case, they've got to either inform the resident and or their guardian or their, you know, their, their personal representative. So, I think that, you know, one, one, I don't think it's a coincidence that what you're seeing um, and the Indy star has done an unbelievable job in this is that, is that the, the states have a vested interest in these nursing homes, you know, nine over 90%, 93% of these nursing homes throughout the state of Indiana are county owned facilities. They're owned by the state. So the state has a vested interest in keeping this information close to their best. Um, and, and, there's been some really pretty um, exposing articles about the ownership of these facilities and, and how the state was able to um, kind of allocate funding. Uh, really, they got they received Medicaid funding and then 
the counties used it as they wish and, and nursing home residents uh, didn't get the, the benefit of the funding as they were as they were intended. So it's I don't think it's a coincidence that that kind of we're seeing these worlds colliding right now. That sounds so horrible, man. That's absolutely insane. So the money that's supposed to be spent on them is not. And then obviously they're suffering for that. Yeah. When you mentioned that the 93% are owned by the state or the counties, does that also invoke the Tort Claim Act? It, it doesn't typically. That's a good question. It doesn't typically because most of these are qualified healthcare providers. So if you're a qualified healthcare provider, you don't, you're not dealing with the Tort Claims Act typically. So, so, so no. So if you're, for example, your Johnson County Memorial, Johnson County Hospital, Johnson County Memorial, DBA, you know, X nursing home, uh, you're likely to be a qualified healthcare provider, and thus you're not going to have the same tort, tort immunity and, and tort claims act issues that you might with a, you know, a case against a city or county in, a, in another venue. That's absolutely insane. Ken, if anybody had any questions, they want to talk to you about issues they're having with loved ones and nursing home, what is the best way to reach you, contact you? Yeah, call me, email me. My, my phone number is 317-920-6409. And then my email is kwinningham, which is W-I-N-I-N-G-H-A-M at WKW.com. Uh, this is a, these are, these are strange times. These, you know, the, uh, State Department of Health. I think they're they're doing their best, but it's uh, it's just I I don't want to use the word unprecedented because if I hear the word unprecedented one more time, I'm just gonna flip. But it 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 is that. So um, so you know I think our our healthcare workers are doing everything they can, and it's just it's just a tough 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 time. Thanks so much for spending some time with me this morning. I appreciate it.